Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. On this episode, Inside Music Cast welcomes Greg Philanganus. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, a podcast devoted to musicians, fans, and the people that make music happen. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. Welcome, everybody, from around the world. And as Rick mentioned, Inside Music Cast is devoted to bringing you candid interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. The name Greg Philanganes is about to get a little more popular in the music world. You see, this here, this most prolific keyboardist, arranger, composer, and performer has been nominated for his first Grammy Award. He has been nominated for Best Instrumental Arrangement, accompanying vocalist, for Good Morning Heartache, featuring Jill Scott on Chris Bode's new album, To Love Again. As a perennial top session player, Greg has continued to expand his project repertoire by working with the best of the best, from his collaborations with Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, George Benson, Paul McCartney, and currently as a band member of the Grammy Award-winning band Toto, Greg shows that he's not afraid of discovering new musical horizons, and that's what keeps him on the edge of music and music technology. Inside Music Cast welcomes Greg Philanganus. Greg, thanks for being with us. My pleasure to be with you. And uh, I guess welcome back from the Bahamas, Mon. I understand so. <laughs> you were down there for... Uh, Hopefully a little R&R, but I understand you were working. You were doing a gig for the Michael Jordan Celebrity Golf Tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was definitely more work than rest, even though I did get a little rest. But what happened was, um, this was an event that he holds annually. I did one before, uh, a few years back. And I hadn't planned on going to this year's, but uh, the producer of the event had run into some snags and some issues. Uh, production-wise, and she called me up kind of last minute because it was about a week uh, before the event um, was scheduled to go, and uh, she asked if I would come down and help. <clears throat> and I, I uh, gladly accepted because uh, I have a long-standing relationship with her because she is a part of the uh, Kersner International Group, and they, mm-hmm. they're the company that um, uh, build all the fabulous one and only resorts all over the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went down there uh, to do that, and she hadn't met my baby yet, but she said, um, you are bringing the girls, and <laughs> I'm negotiable. So we all go down there, and uh, they're relaxing and doing nothing, and I'm working trying to try to get this uh, event moved out. And it was great. Uh, I put a band together, and uh, an all-star stellar band of fantastic uh, session musicians. You know, one of the guys is uh, you know, from Earthman and Fire. Another guy was Ricky Lawson, just played with everybody mm-hmm. and sister. You know. Yeah. It was that kind of band, and we played behind uh, Jennifer Holliday. The Whispers were there, but they had their own band. Yeah. And so we were um, uh, behind Jennifer Holliday, and she just slammed. She threw down. <laughs> she killed. Everybody was totally mesmerized, and um, I was really, really happy for her you know, because it was a nice way to honor her. Um, you know, especially with, with all the hype, the surrounding hype from the movie. You know, sure. uh-huh. Dream Girls, you know, and it was a nice way to honor her as the original Dream Girl. And she, she did not disappoint. You know, it wasn't a dry eye in the house. Michael, everybody was blown away. Really? There were guests down there like Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn, you know, Spike Lee, John McEnroe, uh, Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. um, you know, several athletes, Terrell Owens, uh, it's just a, it's a major it's a major event. 
But I, I guess this was all done via your entertainment company. Is that right? Yeah. And it, tell us a little bit about your entertainment company. Apparently, you, you do uh, – uh, I guess you do musical directing and you produce events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the name right now is Filling Games Entertainment Group and uh, provide not only music directing services, uh, whether I can or cannot do the event. Uh, uh-huh. Personally, um, I, I uh, am able to provide uh, music directors, but we also cover every area of production, you know, from uh, even catering, you know, uh, Backline services uh, provide budgets. We book talent. Um, you know, we can provide uh, broadcast services and HD. Wow, it's a whole section, really, and uh, it's great. You know, we provide full service. And uh, how long have you been doing this, Greg? Um, it's still very much in the early stages, but it, it involves people that I've worked with many times over the years, and uh, we recently uh, just joined forces. You know. Uh, to provide uh, this one-stop uh, service, thing, you know. Neat. It's great. I really enjoy it. Well, very cool. Yeah. Let's dive a little bit into uh, the obvious here. That is Toto. Let's talk a little bit about Toto. And, you know, I want to go – you've known the guys in Toto for a long time, but I guess I'd love to know the story about how your current relationship came about and how were you invited to join the band. Well, that's really simple. David uh, called me one day and asked me. That's simple, huh? Yeah. Um he, I mean, I've known him and most of the guys for at least 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, David and I worked on projects like, uh, you know, the Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney duet. Right. So was mine, you know, so we go back uh, a long time. And uh, having worked with uh, Luke on a number of projects, a lot of times we weren't, we weren't in the room together, but, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we were, and they, there were classic moments like... Uh, Mike McDonald, I keep forgetting, you know, with mm-hmm. Luke and, and uh, Lewis Johnson on bass and Jeff on drums. Mm-hmm. And that was the building section with Michael, you know, and so uh, uh, sure. things like that that uh, I'll never forget. But um, let's see, I uh, David asked me um, <clears throat> formally to, to take over for him touring-wise back in 03, but the year before that, uh, we were talking, and he asked me if I would be into the idea of playing with the guys. And I said, heck yeah. You know, and uh, I thought something was going to happen then, but we just kind of filed it away. And mm-hmm. and I, I almost forgot about it, and then I uh, got this call uh, that was a lot more definite from Dave. And he said, yeah, I want you to take over. So I thought, you know, while, while this was going on, I understand the guys were going, oh, it'll never happen. <laughs> well, that's we interviewed David a while back, and and he said the same thing. He said the guys and the you know the other guys were saying, oh, "We can't get Greg; he's too expensive." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but then I think David said you. Uh, I guess you were playing piano somewhere, and he walked in, and you started playing Africa or something, and it just kind of sparked him, and he went over and talked to you, and I guess the rest was history. Oh well, yeah, probably I went down. I don't know, but um, <laughs> uh, obviously I've known and loved the band for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, We've been buddies, so um, of course I, I never saw this coming. But that's basically my whole career in a nutshell. I never saw any of it coming. Mm-hmm. God just continued to bless me in, in several different layers, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is just another one, but uh, it's it's huge. It's great, and and I really enjoy being a rock star. I got to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you know before Toto. 
you know, I've I've checked out your your career and I've I've done a lot of research, but had and maybe I've missed this, but had you ever been a member of a band before, or is this the first time? Well, the closest I came <clears throat> to a situation like this was when I first uh, started playing with Eric. Right. And uh, it was an extension of the the album we were working on at the time, which was August. Uh, that was the name of the album, and mm-hmm. that's uh, the one that Phil Collins uh, produced. Mm-hmm. And it was basically the four of us in the studio just um, having an absolute blast. And when we were finished, uh, we were quite sad, especially Nate. Nathan Easton, myself, because, you know, we thought that would be it. Mm-hmm. But Eric's manager at the time started seeing dollar signs, so he put a little tour together, a little quick thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it blossomed from that. And uh, in the beginning stages of the tour, you know, when we first started touring, we almost had equal billing. <laughs> you know, it was Clapton, Collins, Filling Games, and East. I remember that. There's a T-shirt. That, I have a T-shirt that says that. Really? You know, other swag and... and uh, posters, you know? uh-huh. and we, it was almost equal billing. It was fantastic. I thought, oh, this is great, man. <laughs> We're setting us up to be, you know, almost equal in All-Stars, and it was really great. We never got that from the press, mm-hmm. and I think I know why, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you uh, take a couple minutes and search your heart, you'll know why, too. But, um, you know, it was really enjoyable, so that was the closest I came to that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as... As uh, time went on, and Eric expanded his band, it just became more like a, you know Eric Clapton and his band, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the dream billing thing started uh, going down the toilet. So, but that was the, the closest I ever came. This is uh, still different because you know the band is the star. Mm-hmm. You know we're not playing behind anybody. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that way, it is equal billing, and uh, it's a totally different dynamic. Um, you know, in uh, and you're working with Eric. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the the album August, uh, but uh, you also played played on several of his projects. One that just really knocks me over, and because I'm a, I'm the perennial R and B, you know, addict, is one that really was uh, sort of threw me for a loop there, and it was called Pilgrim. Um, that one had probably such a deep groove that I've ever heard a, a, a Clapton uh, album ever having. And uh, can you tell me anything about that album? Why was there such a change of an RV, you know, vibe, if you want to call it that, than from the from the other uh, records? Were you instrumental in 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 bringing that to the to the group? Uh, no, not really. He was working extensively with Simon Kleinman, mm-hmm. who brought uh, who who had a, a great influence on him and.
make a killing sales wise, but uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool album. I did enjoy the, I did like the the title track and my father's eyes, you know, and right and broken hearted, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and you've probably heard time and time again that um, you know, people are so happy that you're actually with Toto and how seamlessly this this marriage has been. I know that you guys had one heck of a real, uh, you know, in touring with with Toto for the for, for the first time. You guys uh, really had a real heavy and very demanding schedule. You know, this past year, especially in Europe, right? And uh, how was the adjustment here? You know, you, you've got a new child and and uh, going back from, uh, I mean, how hectic was it before Toto and, and during, you know, during the tour? How, how was the adjustment period for you? Well, before I uh, started touring with the guys, things were, I was actually going through a, a fairly dry period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't have my child at that time either, but still, you know, things were just a little, they, they weren't, uh, they weren't very solid, I'd get erratic work here and there, but uh, that helped tremendously, and then, you know, having to adjust to leaving uh, while having a child, I mean, obviously you don't want to do it because yeah. I love hanging with it, but, uh, you know, the, the one word I wake up with every morning now is tuition, so mm-hmm. <laughs> my wife totally understands, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, that when I come home, uh, there's more for tuition, right. mm-hmm. and of course, well you mentioned you mentioned work being sporadic is that sort of you know i, I kind of hear the same thing from a lot of musicians you know especially in the la scene that session work today just isn't what it was it, it's just not as vibrant as it was you know 20 years not ago vibrant. how about it's dead yeah yeah i mean session work as i used to know it is dead now that's not saying that no one does session work because there's certain guys who actually do quite a lot of work, but it's just totally different. Yeah. Uh, because the, the process of making records is totally different. Um, so it, it was more of a machine, you know, 20, 25 years ago. You just, you know, there were answering services, answering services that were uh, created just for having the volume of musicians uh, to produce it. Mm, wow. You, know, you get a call, man. I used to do. Uh, Two, uh, three sessions a day sometimes. Um, hmm. You know, it, it was a great uh, golden age, really. Mm-hmm. But TV had its golden age, recording had its golden age. You know? And uh, it was fantastic. It was, you know, such a huge blessing to have uh, uh, grown up in that era because it was so educational. It was like going to a life university. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was incredible. You know, we had a, a community, and uh, everybody in that community was, uh, the, you know, the highest caliber musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just fun. You never knew what, what you were going to work on next, but, uh, you know, and there were rarely dull moments. Um, it was a great experience to have uh, and, to, and to draw back on. Okay. And yeah. it's just not like that today. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Yeah, could you tell me? I mean, going going back to the to, to the early days, if you would, of uh, of your career. I mean, uh, you know, you have a pretty deep relationship and a very unique one with Stevie Wonder, who basically uh, heard one of your instrumental renditions of of, uh, of a song, and, uh, and of course uh, that you know the story goes on that uh, 
you know, basically you're part of the Wonder Love Band and and uh, and your relationship with Stevie. I mean, how uh, how how close are you with him today? And, and tell us a little bit about the beginning. That's a really uh, that's a really neat uh, beginning to a, a great career. Well, I guess you got the time, but here we go. <laughs> uh, well, as you know, or you may not know, I'm from Detroit, right. and uh, so I was there. Uh, this was uh, the year after I graduated from high school, which would be 1975. A friend of mine who's a drummer was asked by a buddy of his who was in Wonderland at the time to audition for Stevie in New York. Now, I was thrilled about this, and um, I went to his house the night before uh, to you know, celebrate with him and, mm-hmm. and just hang, you know, just packing and everything. Totally excited. We're in the basement, you know, and talking about it, and I just was so excited for him. But he insisted that I uh, put some things down on the cassette so he could take the seat. And, you know, this is the kind of friend he was. And I, I didn't. I wasn't there for that, but he insisted. So I did. He went off to New York the next day, and uh, some days passed. I can't remember exactly how many, but um, all I know was that one day, early in the morning, he called me up and said, Stevie wants to see you in New York today. <laughs> Imagine my reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm flying around the house. I'm just loopy with excitement. My mother's like, what are you doing? I said, well, uh, you want me to go to the Arctic? Well, you know, have fun. And she was on her way to work. She didn't really get it. You know, she thought it was going to be a weekend fling, and that'd be about it. So, I'm packing to go. And now, but I'm I'm given these instructions before I go to the airport. I am to to pick up one of Stevie's brothers at his home. <laughs> so now I get to go inside Stevie Wonder's house. Wow! And I don't. I you know there were a group of us who knew where he lived. You know. Never been inside. I've passed his house before several times, but never. So now I get to go inside, and I'm <laughs> sitting in the living room waiting to get one of his brothers. And I'm sitting there, like, oh my God, I'm in Stevie Wonder's house. And then we go to the airport. Now, there's a whole side story to all this that I had to include because um, I had started going to college. I was going to Wayne State University. Sure. And, you know, I was trying to get my whole Joe College vibe going on, you know. And, uh, but I was sucking royally in every, even the classes I liked, the courses I liked, just sucking. Psychology, I love psychology, but I was sucking in that. So one day I, I, I you know, I was um, at home talking to my mom about this, and I said, Mom, here's the score. Music, 20, school, zero. It's not working out. Said, well, what are you going to do with your life? I go, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I, I want to, I want to be smart. But it's just not working out. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, I I can play around town, and I, I've been getting some success with that, you know, playing clubs, and I was really getting uh, quite popular around town. People uh, knew me as this nickname, which I can't believe I'm about to divulge, but uh, I, for, for years, like for the first half of my life, I was called Mouse. Don't you ever call me that. It's just mouse, mouse. Yeah. Okay. okay. Don't say mouse, Rick. <laughs> I won't say it. This is your first and last time saying it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the only person who can call me that is Quincy Jones. 
no. Because, <laughs> because the way he says, something about the way he says it, it, it it's okay. No one else is allowed to talk about it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, and if you ever do, I will kick your ass. Um, <laughs> hey, just, just, just one last request. How does Quincy say it then? At least give us that. I don't know. I, it's just the, the sound of his voice. He, he, it's, it's Quincy it's Jones, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, no, because sometimes he goes mouth or he'll go mouthy. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just the way he says it, but only him. Okay, okay. okay. So well, don't even I think promise. about it. So anyway, I was getting a lot of notoriety, and uh, but uh, school was sucking. So uh, at that time, I uh, decided to myself that, uh, and it was during a break, uh, uh It was during a, a break in school, right? And um, the uh, spring quarter was coming up of, nine, of 75, you know. So I thought, right, if nothing exciting happens, I'll wait till the last day that, that, that I can register. You know, I'll wait till the, la the deadline, the last day. And if nothing exciting happens, I'll register again and take another crack at it. Okay, now, moving back to the day, um, I'm going to the airport to meet Stevie. To go to New York, um, that just happened to be the final day to register for the spring quarter. <laughs> of course. Guess what didn't happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on my way to the airport, and like it's starting to snow, and this right. is this is um this is April, this mm -hmm. is April first, April first, '75, and I'm on my way to the airport with one of Stevie Wonder's brothers getting ready to go to New York. So it's like. Oh man, New York, just like I pictured it. Mm -hmm. I never been there before, you know. And uh, so I go there, I drop my stuff off at the hotel, I go to the hit factory, the original hit factory mm -hmm. you know, in Manhattan, and uh, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the engineer and I'm just sitting on pins and needles because I'm just, you know, uh, loopy with excitement and hours pass and all of a sudden the elevator door opens and first you see his sister and then right behind her, Holding his arm, is, holding yeah, holding uh, her arm rather is Stevie, uh -huh. and I'm like, oh my God, there he is! <laughs> <laughs> so he comes, he ambles in the room, you know, and I think the engineer introduces this, 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 this Stevie Wonder, and I, he, he extends his hand, and I'm just, I cannot describe to you that feeling. Uh, mm -hmm. I hope you're getting this because yeah. it was just the most amazing feeling um, ever. And uh, to finally meet uh, the man of my dreams, because you have to remember now, I remember uh, telling friends of mine when I was in high school that I would one day play with this guy. Mm -hmm. Really? That's how deeply connected I felt to him. I mean, I had wow. posters of him on my wall. You know, I worshipped him. Uh, you know, his music was just, you know, um, starting with uh, uh, music in my mind. I just never heard anything like that before. Right. Mm -hmm. I was totally blown away by every note. And um, oh, here's another thing. You know, when I when my friend asked me to make that uh, cassette, I did play a couple of his songs. Uh, but like you said, Eddie, I played them in in the same way that he did on his records to let him know that I know how he, I can relate to him musically. Mm -hmm. you know, I, to let him know I know how he thinks. So now, flashback to uh, New York, and uh, so my first meeting with Stevie, you know. Later on that night at the hit factory, and we just hung out a little bit and talked um, and played around a little bit. And kind of a light meeting, and that was it. Yeah. 
Next day, uh, went to a place called Bill's Rehearsal Hall. Um, and I met, that was more of a formal meeting, you know, I met the rest of the band, Wonder Love. And mm-hmm. It was between me and this much older looking white guy. And everybody in the band was really nice, and some of them came up to me on the side and said, Don't worry, you guys. And, uh, I, of course, I was just insanely excited, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this was a band that still had Denise Williams in it, you know. This was, uh, Ray Parker had just left, mm-hmm. but Denise Williams was still there, and, uh, still a really smoking man, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did my little formal audition. So now we're on the way back to the studio. I'm in the back seat of the car, Steve's in the front, and he turns around and he goes, So, Greg, how does it feel to be a member of Wonderlust? <laughs> Wow. So now at this point, in my head, I'm just thinking all kinds of thoughts because I, I heard a lot of different things about him, and one of them being that he's a practical joker. So I'm, I'm just like, my mind is just turning. Like, ah, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I said, well, um, are you serious? He goes, of course I'm serious. I go, well, would you mind telling my mother that? Because, <laughs> you know, I figured he wouldn't lie to my mom. So we go to the studio and I, I dial my mom's number and hand him the phone so the first voice she hears is his uh-huh. saying that you know he really liked me and everything and, and he he uh, wanted me to join his band and he was going to take care of me and all that stuff so you know this was just absolutely mind boggling and so he had <laughs> the phone back to me and what you hear for about the next five ten minutes is just me and my mom screaming <laughs> And, uh, and with excitement, so it, uh-huh. it finally kicked in, you know. So after that weekend, I did go back home to get the rest of my stuff mm-hmm. and moved uh, to New York the first two months. Uh, it was April and May of 1975. By the way, this was a month before my 19th birthday. Wow. Goodness. Holy cow. Also, another sidebar, the drummer friend of mine actually did not get the gig. Oh, no. He didn't get the gig because Steve wasn't really looking for another drummer. He was just trying to intimidate the one he had. I see. So, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know who Roy Ayers is? Roy Ayers from the, the gee, Roy Ayers, is it called the Roy Ayers Project? Or the, Roy Ayers and Ubiquity. Yeah, there you go. The jazz vibe player? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, he was hanging around Steve a, a lot of the time, and he said to my friend, if you don't get it with him, you got it with me. So he went on to be with uh, Roy, and eventually he played with Steve and everybody else on the known planet. You know, Steely Dan. Uh, he toured with, I never toured with Steely Dan. He toured with Steely Dan, uh, uh, Phil Collins, all kinds of people. And his name is Ricky Lawson. Right. Really? Right. Yeah. And he didn't... Oh, so, man. I thought that's who you were talking about, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how that went down. And then... Um, in June, by June of 1975, they said California is the place you ought to be, so we loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. Hey. <laughs> and I've been out here ever since, and it has been a glorious 31, almost 32 years. Yes, congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations. Hey, I, I do want to congratulate you on your, your Grammy nomination. Uh, oh, that. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, huh? Just a small little thing here. Um, everybody should know by now that uh, Greg has been uh, nominated for his uh, for his work on the arrangement for a track called "Good Morning Heartache," which features uh, it's sung by Jill Scott. In also, right. it it, uh, it features Chris Bodie. Congratulations on that. 
Thanks. Yeah, it's on Chris's album, uh, To Love Again. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, although the song is appearing right now and it's on, on Jill Scott's uh, collaboration uh, CD, yeah. your work was originally, uh, and the Grammy nomination is for your work for Chris Bowie's album, correct? Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. And I did the, the rhythm arrangement, uh, Gil goes into the string, so if mm-hmm. we win, uh, we would both get one. But Gil is so bad, he's nominated for something else in the same category. Wow. Wow. So he's up against himself, and then there's 40 <laughs> Jelly. And and two other guys, you know. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's just nice to be in the club, but yeah. it would be really nice to get the trophy. You know? Eddie, Eddie and I are going to check out a Chris Bodie concert next month, and uh, I was just curious. What I, I think he's amazing. He's you know I, I first saw him perform when he was touring with Sting, and yeah. uh, what was it like working with him? How, what was your uh, uh, really? He's a great kid. Yeah, really nice. But he knows he's hot, you know. Oh yeah, he's got, he's got this. You know, he's a cute. Kid, you know, he's got the stance and make the girls go, ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing like and, a good-looking uh, horn play. player, huh? He can play. He can play, and he's cute, which is why I hate him. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Uh, but no, he's, a, he's a great kid and uh, and really, really phenomenally, talent, phenomenally talented. And, uh, you know, his, his uh, playing gets better with each uh, album. Yeah. He's really killing, so I'm, I'm quite proud of him. Right. I was especially impressed, uh, <clears throat> not only uh, with his playing, but of course, um, Jill Scott, her vocal on that. Yeah, she's amazing. Did she not recall Billie Holiday? Oh, <laughs> my God. I mean, <laughs> Did she not just invoke? It was unbelievable, her approach. It was. And the coolest thing about that is when she makes her entrance, she yawns. <laughs> Are you serious? Did you notice that? <laughs> you mean on the... It's uh, called, see, because it's good morning... Right. Heartache. So the first thing he does is yawn. I mean, oh, that's did, brilliant, you know. I didn't notice that. I yeah. was just listening to that track about an hour ago, and I did. I haven't noticed Dude, that. Check it out again. And, but you got to listen to it from the top because it sets the mood, you know, with right. playing, you know. And she doesn't come in until, like, the second half of the song. Right. The first thing you hear is her yawning. Are you and then, she goes, then she thinks, good morning, heartache. I mean, yeah. it's... Unbelievable. It is. You said it perfectly. I mean, it's just almost as if Billie Holiday is right there waking up and just just singing away. It's got that. Yeah, she really nailed it, man. I was so thrilled. Wonderful Chet Baker, Miles Mood. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. God, she's this girl's a classic already. Yeah, it's hot. And she knows. Uh, well, anyway, and that's and that's you on Fender Rhodes on that track too, oh, right? Yeah. That would be me. Yeah. Hey, speaking of arranging, uh, you, you recently co-arranged a couple of songs for. Uh, an upcoming Michael Bolton release, and is this uh, is this record a follow up to his last Standards album? Yeah, yeah. Okay. What songs were you involved in arranging on this one? Um, Somewhere over the rainbow and a song for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, both have been done eight bazillion billion times. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, I surprised uh, Bolton uh, by uh, letting him know that. Uh, I had also worked on the Ray Charles arrangement that he loved so much. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then I hit him even harder by um, letting him hear the demo vocal I did for Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a little surprised about that. Surprised in, in what way? Did he did he like your, your rendition? Well, he liked it. He loved it. He didn't. He just didn't. He had no idea that I did a demo vocal for Ray. Oh wow! Well, yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't even know that that you know I that was me playing on that arrangement either. You know. Oh, okay. And um, so I kind of hit him twice with that. So he really enjoyed that. So we based that, uh, the new arrangement, primarily off of the one I did, you know. Yeah. For Ray. Very cool. And when is that? Is, is, are they still in production on that, or is it is it due out soon? Uh, it's still in production. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I won't be out for a minute, but. Uh, Hey, um, one of, one of my very favorite albums is is Donald Fagan's The Nightfly, and and you were all over that record. No, oh, yeah, I mean that album is such a classic, you know, in so many circles. And I mean, did you have any idea at the time when you were working on The Nightfly that this was going to be such a classic record? I mean, did you just could you just feel it when you were playing? I mean, when you were doing that album? No, I just thought that I'm playing on the Donald Fagan record. <laughs> That's what I'd be thinking. <laughs> and, and that was that was enough. I mean, yeah. no I do remember that the first time. I mean, you never you never know. That you never think, well, this is going to be a worldwide smash. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I get asked that question all the time about Thriller. Did you know it was going to be the huge smash? Of course yeah. not. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, no one ever. You can never predict that. I mean, all you can do is is put your best into it and and remain passionate, and, and, and that's it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can never assume there's going to be a smash. You can have a good feeling about it, but you know, it's really hard to to tell. Wait. Um, but no, I mean, uh, I had a blast working on it. The first song I worked on was I.G.Y. Mm-hmm, right. And uh, it was just me. No yeah. rhythm section, me and a little ignorant uh, drum machine. Yeah. And a chart. <laughs> wow. We're all with the tune. I, I, I actually would make mistakes on purpose just so I could start again from the top. Because <laughs> the changes were so cool, and I was just like, man, this is great, man. Mm-hmm. I go, oops, I messed up. Can we take it again from the top? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I had a great working relationship with him and Gary Katz. Mm-hmm. I was really, you know, again, I never saw it coming. You know, out of the blue, seemingly, like Gary Katz just calls me up and says, "Yeah, I don't know if you could work on a Donald Fagan's solo." Album. Well, let me think about that for a man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, one one of the songs that uh, I mean, let, let's, let's just face it, the whole album is a, it's a masterpiece. I mean, you mentioned IGY, but one um, one of the, the the highlights of the of the whole album is is your your solo on I believe on it's I believe it's Ruby Ruby. Oh yeah, and uh, that's one where Michael Lamardian is playing. Uh, he I mean he plays some piano parts uh, on that thing too, but. When you, um, you know, I, I, you must remember that solo really well because I do. I have pr- practically every single note. But on that, I mean, was, you know, you know, alluding back to the very beginning discussion that you have parameters where you can experiment and I- improvise. Was that improvised? And can you, can you recall back then the vibe on when you were playing that solo? It's a wonderful piano solo. Well, thanks. Here's, here's how it went down. First of all, yeah, you're right. Um, Donald is extremely anal. Mm-hmm. You know, you got artists that are pretty cool. You got artists that are sticklers. And then you got Donald. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some category. Donald made, got, Donald made guys do just crazy stuff that they would never think of doing for anybody else mm-hmm. just because he's Donald. Right. You know, Donald and Walter together would give you the month, you know. <laughs> you know, and everybody complains and bitches and moans, but it's like, well, oh, what the hell, it's Steely Dan, you know. Right, right. But, I mean, they would put guys through just, you know, like two weeks on a pig You know, just insane stuff. You're right, exactly. Right. I've heard you those know. stories. Yeah, and you mentioned Michael Amani and Plates and Parts. What you don't know is this This shows you how out Donald was. And it, he, he got away with this crap. He had Michael and I at the piano together. Mike played the left hand. You've got to be. And I played the right hand. I kid you not. Was that Donald's suggestion? Of course. It wasn't ours. <laughs> Yeah, 
<laughs> you just make you think, hey, Donald, what do you say with the butt of a slave? <laughs> what do you say butt of a shake a hand? I mean, come on. And let's play chopsticks, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, it literally, it was like, you know, uh, you know, it's like that other song. Da, 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 exactly, da, da, yeah, yeah, exactly. Soul, you know? Right and hard. <laughs> you know, come on, man. So, he had, I'm like, oh, are you serious with this? So, he, that's what he wanted us to well, do. Well, let me so, ask you, what was he trying to achieve with yeah, that? Yeah, really. I have no freaking idea. <laughs> but did it work? I, I mean, guess in his head. <laughs> I mean, did it go down on the album that way? Yes. Wow. So wow. another, another and, and I, I, you know, it's like you know. Last time I checked, I could, I can play with both hands, Donald. I, <laughs> you know, I kind of got this. You know. And I'm sure yeah, Michael was the same way, but we're like, okay, you know, this guy's just crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, so um, <laughs> that's how it went down. Now, when it came time for the solo, right? Uh, Mike went up first, and you know, it it just didn't work out. He was having some. Meanwhile, while he's uh, you know, making his attempts, I already know what I'm going to do. Right. So then my parent came up and I just whipped it out. Yeah. And uh, I also played a solo too. No, that's, that's a blue line. <laughs> um, that is a blue line. Sorry, sorry. Um, but I, uh, I hit the solo and basically in two takes I had it. You know. <laughs> wow. And uh, because I knew I wanted to, you know, implement that other tune and, how it's going to go down. So. Very cool. That's how it works. But wow. uh, I also had, uh, I, I I took certain liberties with Donald in spite of his little anal personality. Just tried to see how far I could go. Like uh, the goodbye look, for instance. Mm-hmm. Sure. The intro, the song starts out with a, an intro on uh, on a marimba right. solo than I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I, I, I did several takes and he liked the last two takes that I did. Okay. Um, so we played the last two takes individually, and he liked them both, but he, he just kind of, it seemed like he was a little still undecided. Uh-huh. So I, I I borrowed an old Stevie Wonder trick. I, I drew upon an old Stevie Wonder trick where Stevie um, uh, had uh, two harmonica solos going on in too high. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, so I thought about that. And then I asked Donald, I said, well, if you like both of these solos, why don't you just play them together? Thinking that it would never work. He'd never go for it in a million years. Mm-hmm. But he played a track with both uh, the, the, the last two takes, and he dug it. So that was my little idea, and he went for it. Very cool. I remember the sound of how that, how that sounds. It's pretty but cool. But it sounds similar, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's still different enough. And uh, But the cool thing is, is he went for it. Yeah, so I was able to, you know, and uh, let's see, what else? Um, oh, a couple of little things musically that uh, he let me get away with. Mm-hmm. Oh, like um, at the end of uh, Maxine. Mm-hmm. Sure. And let me just clear this up right now. Everybody thinks that the intro to Maxine I made up. Okay. Da, 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 no, da, da. It was totally written out, note for note. <laughs> you oh, I was playing. <laughs> but the end of it. You know, when I'm going through this blistering thing right, right. Know, with those changes at the end, that's mm-hmm. me. And he, I, and I just felt, I just was feeling it, you know. I just felt this is the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And he kept that. Wow. You know. So, so certain things like that he let me get away with. When I kept, all I kept hearing was how rigid and alien he was. And make no mistake, he is. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you do something that's happening, you'll keep it. Yep. 
Well, Eddie and I, last March, we had a chance to go see, uh, go up to Chicago and to see his uh, solo uh, tour. And man, you know, he's, he just surrounds, he's always surrounded himself with such amazing players. And, and it was just, it was one of the best concerts I've ever witnessed. I mean, it was I just, bet. it was just, it, for me, it was, it's, it's like you getting to play with him. For me, just getting to see him perform live on a solo tour, that, mm-hmm. that was a real special moment for me. Yeah. Have you had a chance to listen to his Morph album? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, huh? You got well, You had to listen to it definitely more than once. Oh, oh yeah, God, yes. definitely. But it's that Morph the Cat. See, this is how, you know, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody normal thinks of, yeah, a Morph the Cat. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> knows. definitely different. But, you know, he's a lovely guy, and you got to know, you know, he wrote a song for me once. Really? Did he really? Yeah. And... If you want to know how it came about, I asked him. Really? And he said, yeah. <laughs> now, I'm one of the few people that can say Donald Fagan wrote a song for me. And which one is it? It's called Lazy Nina, and I had it on my second solo album with Bob Cricket and Pearl Harbor. But, was that you know, Pulse? Hell, I, yeah, it was on Pulse. Uh-huh. Okay. That actually, well, I wanted to dive in. Since you mentioned your solo albums, uh, you've you've had two solo records, right? Significant Gains? Yeah. In uh, 81, you had Pulse in 84. Yeah. Have you thought about doing any? Uh, this actually comes. This question comes from uh, a Fiona Barr from the Toto Network. She she asked me to ask you this question. She wanted to know if uh, you thought about doing any other solo projects. Yeah, Fiona, I do. <laughs> I think about it, um, and for years I would go back and forth. Like, do I want to subject myself to that? No, yes, but um, I'm at the point now uh, because of how drastically different. Uh, the music business is and uh, the changes in, involved in the, in the process and how music is marketed and all that stuff. I, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me so much now. It's like it, it's, I'm at a point where it's, I'm comfortable with just doing the project for the love of it and not worrying about how much yeah. it sells and, and that added pressure. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe I will do one. It's just when. Mm-hmm. But when I... When I do it, I have a feeling it'll be drastically different from what you think. Yeah, yeah. Or certainly drastically different from uh, total stuff. But, uh, yeah, I would like to do one. You know, sometimes, you know, the music that you're working on, for instance, like this, this the most recent work that you've done with uh, uh, for Jill Scott and of Chris Bodie, um, does this music, uh, how did how did you, I mean, you when you first met Chris Bodie, is it through artist-to-artist relationships where he calls you, or how do those relationships uh, come, come to be there, Greg? It varies. Uh, most of it is personal, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, a guy who's been producing Chris is Bobby Columbia, and he's a longtime dear friend of mine, and mm-hmm. he's the one who put it together. Really? You know, and this is not the first time I worked with him. I, I worked with him um, a couple of hours ago. Uh, you know, or played on some things and, uh, you know, helped arrange some things. So he, he's the one who, who initially put it together. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then he didn't buy it ever since, but, you know, uh, usually it's with my long-time relationships with other artists, or um, uh, I, I may get a call from a producer or whatever, but, you know, it's everybody. Well, put it this way, those who know me know me, and, you know, it, it's not not difficult to get in touch with me at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to ask a sort of a technical question. Just recently you worked on a project that was a collaboration with... Uh, Herbie Hancock and you worked on uh, on a cut for his uh, his his latest album. 
Um, at the time when you hooked up with him, um, he was experimenting, of course, with uh, – uh, and this is more of a, of a rig setup here. But he, he introduced you to a new uh, – the, the, the keyboard uh, that you're currently using as a, as a controller. That was the, the, the Oasis. He – Herbie Hancock, was he using that uh, to experiment and then you um, just began to play with it? How did that, how did that affect you? Well, first of all, I knew about the Oasis probably before he did. Really? Huge, yeah. Uh, several years ago, maybe almost 10 years ago, I saw it premiered at a NAMM show. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting on this for years, you know. And uh, at the very least, he knew about it when I, did, when I first did. I mean, uh, he is a total uh, techno geek, but uh, it's not that he introduced me to it. I, I was introduced. I think we were both introduced to it probably at the same time. Yeah. This was several years ago. And... Uh, I have a, a relationship with Cord, so gotcha. I was looking forward to the Oasis coming out um, so I can have a rig that consisted of all Cord stuff. Because mm-hmm. I use Cord primarily anyway gotcha. in my other stuff. But, you know, um, I sometimes uh, I mix it I mix it up with a couple of other different keyboards, but it's primarily Cord anyway. Right. Your long-lasting relationship with uh, Korg, is that, uh, is that something that you had over the years? Do, you, uh, do they uh, consult with you, or do, you, do they pick your brain for development and, and, and patches and so forth? Uh, sometimes. Yeah? I, I, I was part of the development of the, uh, the CX. They had this little um, mini organ. Yeah. The organ, and I think it's called the CX. And uh, I was involved in the development of that, uh, but I've had a relationship with Korg for like, Almost 20 years. Right. And, yeah, I'm very proud of the, the work I did on Purpose. I actually co-produced two songs. Yeah. On the Possibilities album. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when Love Comes to Town, and I just called. So, very proud of that. It was a good piece of work there. Yeah, that couldn't be up for any Grammy stuff, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still very proud to, you know, to be able to say that I, I produced every Hancock. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty... That's heavy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this, this is, I, I wanted to ask this a minute ago when we were talking about, you know, when you first met Stevie and all this, but um, you attended Cass Technical High School in Detroit, right? Yeah. Which that was a – that place has a pretty amazing list of successful alumni such <laughs> as, you know, yourself and Lily Tomlin and Ellen Burstyn, David Allen Greer, who, and Diana Ross went there. And, Diana Ross, yeah. And the White Stripes, you know, the recent band. Yeah. I guess it's safe to assume that the school had a pretty amazing uh, performing arts uh, program. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense that way. What it really was was a big-ass old building. Mm-hmm. looked like a, a, a condemned uh, ghost house or something. It was huge. They had 5,000 kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it was a wealth of talent there, and it was uh, an amazing time to be in school. And it was the school that everybody... Uh, wanted to go to everybody mm-hmm. couldn't make it in there but uh, that's why it's, uh, but you were smart uh, no <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with smart uh, you know I had uh, uh, talent but right <laughs> you know, but I did manage to graduate there that's good <laughs> um, but yeah it was a very special school and they had a, 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 uh, an amazing uh, arts department you know and all arts performing you know mm-hmm. and uh but it was, in, in all this technical um, subjects, really, uh, science, that's why it's called a technical school, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, very high standard there. Sure. For a long time. Uh, something else uh, you need to know regarding my relationship with Steve, Eddie wants to know, you want to know if it's still, um, 
if I still have a relationship with a man, the answer is very much so yes. Um, he uh, was the best man in my last wedding, I think. Oh, really? I think that's a yes. There. I think that is a big yes. <laughs> and he volunteered. Did he really? Yep. That's neat. That's when really cool. he first met the woman, the, you know, I hate to admit this, but this is my third time at bat. Okay. Uh, and my final time. <laughs> but when he met my, uh, when, when we were just going together, when he first met, uh, who's now my third and final wife, he t- turned to me and said, okay, when, not if, when you get married, I want to be the best man. <laughs> wow. wow. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Because I'm good. <laughs> That's really cool. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll get back to you on that. Because <laughs> I'm serious. So uh, we were going together for about three years, and uh, the time came. We decided we were going to get married. So I called him. I called him on it. And sure enough, the son of a gun showed up. We got married in the Bahamas at sunset mm-hmm. on the beach. Mm-hmm. And he was right there standing next to me. And he sang. Oh, wow. You and I mm-hmm. with a string quartet really? on the beach at sunset. Wow. No no shoes. We all had, had no shoes. <laughs> we on the sand. And, you know, uh, my wife had a beautiful wedding gown. I had a little tux thing with no shoes. Mm-hmm. Were, were you able to videotape that? Huge, yeah. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. Oh, yeah. Stevie Wonder delivers. <laughs> that's neat. That's well, hey, story. hey, Greg, aside from your, your busy schedule with Toto this year, what other projects do you know of that you'll be working on? I'm currently working with uh, the red-hot Uber production team called The Underdogs. Uh-huh. Uh, Harvey Mason Jr. and Damon Thomas, and they uh, they just produced a little thing called the soundtrack, The Dream Girls. There you go. Which is number one. Uh, they just won a critic, a film critics' choice award for that. Uh, they have, I think, three out of the five songs of theirs that are up for for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with them right now on Heather Headley, but I'll also be working with them on uh, uh, other artists as well. Okay, very cool. Um, so I'm staying busy with them, and you know, gearing up for rehearsals with the boys, and uh, going to as many games as I can. What kind of games? Lakers. Oh, <laughs> Lakers games. Okay. Come on, come on now. You know, come on. <laughs> well, I, you know, my brain is just totally focused on the Colts right now because I'm a seasoned Colts ticket holder and we're in the Super Bowl. And I was at the game the other night and, and that's where my brain is right now. <laughs> well, I, I feel you. I feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, Greg, thanks so much for spending time with us here on Inside Music Cast. My pleasure, boys. My pleasure. And congratulations once more and good luck uh, on the Grammy. Thanks, man. We'll uh, see you on the other side of that, huh? You got it. Definitely. Hopefully we'll catch up with you at a Toto show this this year sometime. Absolutely. Toto coming to a town near you. There you go. Let's hope so. <laughs> Thanks, right. Greg. Thanks, guys. All right, All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Greg Fillengains for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week, so be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of Inside Music Cast. If you have a question or a suggestion for the show, please drop us an email at input at insidemusiccast.com. That's input at insidemusiccast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. 
You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. 